We are continuing our series this morning uh, entitled Beyond. And you know, as we think about even Veterans Day and what that all means, many of the, the, the people that have served over the generations for this country were young people, weren't they? Many in their late teens and, and early young adult years giving their lives on the battlefields for our freedom, for people that they, they don't even, well, won't even meet and all that. And, and that does segue into our message here this morning because we are in a series entitled Beyond where we're called by God to live beyond ourselves. And the pull of this holiday season very often makes us turn inward and to think about ourselves and what we want and what we need and our things. And, and, and the spirit of Christmas really is about Jesus who came to give himself. He went beyond himself. He left the comforts of heaven to give his life on the cross. And he calls us as his, as his followers, as Christians, to do the same for others. Not to live for ourselves and our blessing, but to live beyond ourselves to be a blessing to others. Can I hear an amen to that? And that's where we began our series last week. And if you, you missed it, you're welcome to go online and join us. But we continue here this morning with a message entitled Beyond Our Generation. Because we're called not just to live for ourselves and our generation, but to look beyond to the generations that are yet to come even. And uh, that's where we want to begin today. And we're going to take a look at this passage of scripture found in Psalm 78. Um, where the Bible declares just how important this is and why. I mean, it's declared in a whole lot of other places, but we're going to start here. And uh, one theologian famously said that Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. In other words, if we don't pass the faith on to the next generation, this, this, this thing could go away, right? The, the message of the gospel, the story of the gospel, and the eternal life in Jesus Christ can disappear. And so we are commanded by God to make sure that we transmit it to the next generation. Look at what it says here in Psalm 78. He said, my people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and he and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Verse seven, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And I want us to notice a few things coming out of this passage. First of all, well, just the psalm in general was written as a song that was sung uh, to help pass this message on to future generations, right? But it was, it was a reminder and really a challenge that, hey, we can't keep this message of God's goodness and his love to ourselves. We have to pass it on to others, and we have to be intentional at doing so. Otherwise, there will be consequences, which we'll see in just a little bit. But notice that it was a command, God, the, the Bible is commanding us to be intentional at passing the faith and the message of the gospel and the word of God to the next generation. You know, whenever you see a command in the Bible, it, it's usually there because we wouldn't do it naturally, right? It's like you don't have to command your kids to, you know, eat candy. You know, they'll do that naturally, but you got to command them to brush their teeth, right? You have to command them to eat their broccoli. Why? Because they won't do it naturally. I don't have to command you to have dessert. I got to command you to finish your meal, right? And similarly, when God commands us something, it's, it often implies that you're not going to want to do this on your own. And if I didn't put it there, if I didn't write it there, you probably wouldn't do it on your own. And this is so important because if we don't pass the faith on to the next generation, there will be, there are consequences to be had couple things in, in your notes and on screen as we look at this passage. 
First of all is we must live beyond our generation and invest in the faith of the next generation. We must live beyond our generation and invest in the faith of the next generation. Um, you know, what's crazy is that, you know, all throughout Scripture, you see different patterns of like, okay, the people of God are doing good, they're experiencing God's blessing, and then another generation grows up and they fall far short. And rather than the blessing of God, there are consequences to rebellion and, and sin that, they, that this next generation deals with because the previous generation didn't pass the faith on. And so the Bible's clear, hey, we need to be real intentional with this. We can't just expect it to happen automatically, right? And, and oftentimes, you know, I've been wondering, you know, why don't we pass the faith on to the next generation? There's probably a lot of different reasons, but a few of them I thought of was, you know, we, we assume oftentimes that they'll just kind of catch it by osmosis, right? That because they're around and because we drag them to church when they're babies, that they're just going to, you know, grow up in the faith. And, and, and that's not automatically necessarily the case, if we're not intentional, they're not just going to catch the faith of their parents. Oftentimes, they, they detract far away from it. That's what happened with the nation of Israel, as we'll take a look at in just a moment. But we can't just assume that the next generation will catch it. Thinking about our kids, our grandkids for many of you, our nieces and our nephews, they're not just going to catch it. The second thing is, you know, I thought about is, you know, why don't we pass it on? It's hard. It's hard to pass stuff on to your kids that you want them to catch. Right now, my, my wife and I, we're struggling just helping our kids catch math. You know what I'm talking about? And if you've ever tried to help your kids with their homework, you know just how stinking hard that is. You just want to pull your hair out. And it's like, you know, never mind already. Just use a calculator the rest of your life. Like, it's just hard. It's just ridiculous. And, and I realize how, how difficult it is just to do simple things. How do we pass on something that's about orienting your whole life around? That, that there is a God in heaven whom we need to orient our lives around. We don't live for ourselves. We live for others. I mean, all these meta-narrative kind of stuff, it doesn't come easy. It's hard. And maybe that's why we don't intentionally enter into it sometimes. Life is busy, right? We got a lot of stuff going on, and, and, and we hope that they'll, they'll just catch the faith. But if we allow the busyness of life to take over, we shouldn't be surprised if the next generation falls far short of walking with God. We can't allow the busyness of life to take over. Can I hear an amen to that? Another thing I realize is that it takes intentionality. We have to be super intentional. And we see here in Scripture, again, the command to do this because we're not going to do it on our own. The Scripture here is commanding us as the older generation to pass the faith on to the next. And if we don't, as we said earlier, there will be consequences. And, you know, uh, if, if we, we don't like the way that the world is going right now and we're frustrated with what we see in the world, then we have to be intentional to pass the Word of God onto the next generation that they can do better than us, amen? That the world that, that we grow older in will be led by these young adults and young people right now, and maybe they'll do a better job than, than the world that we left behind for them. It, you know, as much as this is a challenge, this is also a hopeful passage, because if we are intentional, good things can happen. Look, at, look back at verse 8. He said, if we do this, then they, speaking of the younger generation, will not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to Him. In other words, if we are intentional and we pass the faith on, then they don't have to follow the pattern of godlessness and living in rebellion. They can, they can turn to God and walk with God and experience His blessing rather than the consequences. And many of us, we look at what's going on in the world, we get frustrated. My question to us is, what are we doing about that? Are we investing in someone else's faith, particularly of the next generation, that the world that they create will be different maybe than the one that we have now? And we have a vested interest in this, you realize, because they're going to be pushing us around in wheelchairs one day, right? They're, they're going to be leading the world that we are growing old in. And I don't know about you, I want them to love God and love people, not just love themselves. So 
Let's create a better world together. Amen. You know, um, Pearlside Church, Pastor Norman started this church 28 years ago, and it very quickly understood that we're called to reach the next generation. And uh, you've probably heard some of the stories over the years of, of young people coming in and, and just, just all kinds of craziness happening. But because Pearlside was intentional to invest in the next generation when, when we started, that current next generation people then now are the ones that are leading the church today. Um, so I'll go ahead and throw up that first picture. I realized this um, you know, when uh, we, we recently did the transition service back in, um, no, not that one. We don't need to look at my butt. Go to the transition service one. <laughs> no, not that one. The transition. So there we go. All right. So when Pastor Norman, you know, um, tr- transitioned the main campus here over to me and my leadership, we took this picture. And um, as I was looking at it, I realized all of these men on the stage next to me, they lead our campuses, by the way, all of our, our sites. And our, uh, Pastor Key now leads our ch- Kaneohe uh, church plant out in Kaneohe. And I realized every single one of us were reached when we were young adults, when we were teenagers. Every single one of us. Um, the guy to my left, Pastor Alfredo, he was reached when he was a young adult in college. Pastor Key to his left uh, was in high school. When I was in high school, he's from Kamehameha Schools. Uh, Moku to his left was, in high, uh, was a young adult. Every, every single one, even Kevin Asano there on the far right was reached when he was in high school at Pearl City High School. And I realized because Pearlside always had a heart for the next generation, now that formerly next generation are the generation that's leading the church now. And it made me realize, man, we got to make sure that we're investing in the next generation because it's not, it's, it's not going to be very long. It's going to be like a, a twinkle of an eye. And all of a sudden, the next generation is going to be the generation that's leading. And we got to make sure we do a good job in setting them up for success. Can I hear an amen to that? Otherwise, we're going to be grumbling about them. Oh, those young people, they don't know what they're doing, right? But then we got to look at ourselves. What do we do to invest in them? What do we do to pour into them? Or are we just going to grumble and blog and tweet and whatever happens in 40 years is out there, you know? What, or are we, are we going to invest today so that the world that we have later is one that we can be proud of and say, hey, God, we're doing this thing right by you. But every single one of them were reached, I'll single one of us, I'll say, were reached when we were younger. Pastor Kiyomo, I think uh, I, I mentioned him. We have a picture of him and his family. Uh, we officially planted their, their church out back in February. And Pastor Key's congregation now on, out in Kaneohe, they're, they're, they've, they've more than doubled. Um, I, think, I think that's the latest report I heard. They're growing fast, and, and God's doing amazing things, and they're reaching the next generation through Ikaika Athletics and other things. They're getting on the campuses and making a difference, and they're, they're penetrating the communities that they live in and, and helping to change, change lives, healing families, healing marriages, you know, healing broken young people. Uh, Pastor Mark Young, uh, which wasn't in that last picture, he got saved when he was uh, a student at Hawaii Pacific University. And he and his wife Ruth were missionaries for many years overseas, and now they've planted our congregation in Tacoma, Washington. And they're doubling, they're growing. God's doing amazing stuff there. They got a place, you'll hear later on, at a community college, and they're just starting to reach the communities there. And I go, man, thank God this church invested in young people. And we're willing to deal with all the problems that come with young people because now we have churches that are being planted through those formerly young people. Amen? What about the next generation? We have to set them up for that same level of success as well. Can I hear an amen to that? Because we were intentional. I mean, some of you heard the stories where young people were coming to church back in the, in the, in the late 90s and, and fights would break out. You know, we'd had, we'd had, we had street kids coming from all over different places. And, you know, when you get a bunch of kids together, the fights are going to happen. I was there that, that one night when there was this, this big fight and the police officer wanted to scrap with one of the guys. It was, it was crazy. I wasn't involved with that. 
because I wasn't a fighter, you know, so I, I think I was hiding behind Auntie Camille or something. But, but I remember when it all went down and the cop took off his belt. He was like, wow, we go trial right now. You know, it was, it was like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know about this church, right? But I'm so glad Pastor Norman and the leadership team at the time didn't say, you know what, no more young people, too much problems. I'm thankful that and many of you were there. I see some of your faces that you said, no, 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 this is important. We need to invest in the next generation. We're not going to be put off by the next generation and their puka jeans and their you know, earrings and places that they shouldn't be. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to be put off with that. But we're going to lean in. We're going to invest. It's why I'm in the ministry today because many of you know my story. I didn't come from a great family. My parents were divorced. My dad was a drug dealer. I was one of those broken teenagers that through this church changed my life. And now I'm committed to making a difference in not just my generation, but the next. Can I hear an amen? And if you're here today and you're saying, man, God's changed my life. He's turned my marriage around. He's turned my family or whatever it is. We can't just go, yay me. We have to say, all right, how can I pass this on to the next? Because there's consequences if we don't, but there's amazing things that can happen if we do. And it's going to benefit us, but more importantly, it'll benefit the next generation as well. We need to be intentional with this. It's not just going to accidentally happen. Uh, we recently had our, our Seek Week prayer surge, and I know many of you were there. Um, and one of the nights we said, you know, we want to pray over all the young people. And so when I talked to our team, I said, how many young people do you think will have at prayer? You know, and I remember someone saying, oh, maybe five, maybe eight. And I said, okay, that's good. Whoever we have, we'll just pray over them. And when we called into the stage, I was surprised how many people were coming onto the stage. So now you can go to that picture. I guess the one with my butt in it, but whatever. Or the other one. Go to the other one. We don't need to look at it. There you go. Leave that one up. And as they were coming up on the stage, it, there were so many kids coming on the stage. They just kept coming. They were coming out of everywhere. I feel like I was, you know, you've seen those videos of shoving Japanese people in the train cars. Like, really, just get on the stage. Get on the stage. That's what we're doing. And the stage is filled with all of these young people. And I was just like, wow. I had no idea that there were that many young people coming to prayer on a Thursday night, I think it was. And as we prayed for them, the Spirit of God fell. You could see many of them weeping under the presence of God. They were getting touched by God in that moment. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, this is what this church is for. It's for them and the generations that are coming after them. See, something insidious happens as we get older. We forget about the next generation. See, I remember when I was a young person, I thought, all right, yeah, I'm the most important person in the world. And then as I got older, I realized you you forget because we got a lot of problems, right? As we get older, I mean, life just gets busier and busier and busier. And it's so easy to, to kind of just push the next generation to the side. And we can never do that. Can I hear an amen to that? And so we, we, we prayed over them, we, we blessed them, and the Lord just put, dropped this conviction on my heart. We have to build a church that is going to continue to reach the next generation, not get comfortable with our success and our padded chairs and our air conditioning, amen, and just live for, uh, for our generation. We have to continually build a church that's going to reach the next. And one of the, the pictures that, that blessed me the most, go to that next one, is seeing these young people praying. They were in, in this place praying passionately for God to move in their generation. I swear there's a picture there somewhere of them praying. There you go. Praying passionately that God would move. I said, this is what we need to have happen more and more and more. But it's going to take all of us. Amen. It's going to take all of us. It, it can't just, it's not just going to automatically happen. It's going to take all of us valuing and investing in the next generation. Failure to invest in the, in the faith of the next generation will have consequences, as I've said. You know, the, one of the greatest generations in the Bible that's described is often referred to as the Joshua generation. And maybe you've heard of the Joshua generation. They were the generation that followed Moses, and they led the people of God into the promised land. After 400 years of exile, 40 years wandering in the desert, they finally enter into the promised land, to this inheritance of God, and it was an amazing moment. And the Joshua generation is 
hailed throughout Scripture and in many theological circles as, as like, yeah, that's what we want to be. We want to be like the Joshua generation that enter into the blessing of God and the promise of God and the promised land of God because they did it in their generation. But they failed to pass the faith on to the next. And I want us to read about that for just a moment. Judges chapter 2, where we read about the success of Joshua and his generation, but also a little bit of where they fell short. Verse 7, after Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. He lived a good, long life. Amen. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals or idols. They served other gods. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashereths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had swore to them. They were in great distress. Now get the picture. In just a few short paragraphs there, we went from Joshua and his generation entered into their inheritance, lived a good old age, a successful life. But right after that, the generation grew up and fell far short of that. You see how quickly this thing can turn if we're not intentional? Now, I wonder what was going through the mind of the Joshua generation. They were probably feeling like, man, we're successful, man. We did an awesome job. We did it. We entered into the promised land. Woohoo! Yay us. They're probably high-fiving, belly bumping, you know, headbutting one another just out of excitement and exuberance. They had their land. They were building homes, I'm sure, starting farms and families and all of that, reveling in their success. But they forgot probably the most important thing to pass the faith on to the next generation. And after they were all dead, because we're all going to die, right? whether we like it or not, after they were all gone, the legacy that they left behind was not one of blessing and prosperity. It was one of quite the opposite because they failed to pass the faith on. All the great stuff that they did, in, all, in, in essence, was negated by the fact that the generation that grew up after them didn't follow the Lord. And rather than incurring the blessing of God, they incurred the consequences of a life of rebellion against God. And may that not be us. Amen. I don't think any of us want to say, man, I, I, I lived a great life, but man, my kids really suffered. Man, I lived a great life, but my grandkids, man, they really did not do good in life. I don't know about you, but I think the Spirit of God is, we did the best that we could in our time, and we made sure to set up the next generation for success. That's got to be our heart. And that's what the psalm that we read earlier is all about. It's a command to pass the faith on, not a suggestion. And so therefore, we need to be incredibly intentional at it. You know, another one of the sad things is when you think about just the church throughout history, the birthplace of Christianity was in Asia Minor, you know, the Mediterranean world. And and, and right now, it's it's relatively dead as, as it pertains to Christianity. Islam took over and all this kind of stuff, but the, the churches there, there are some, but man, it's certainly not the place of revival that it was a couple thousand years ago. What happens? Why did that happen? You think about Europe, where some of the great churches now are museums, you know what I mean, to, to, the, to the faith that once was. How does that happen? 
I think it happens when one generation fails to pass it on to the next. And maybe like the Joshua generation, we got too caught up with our own success, our own busyness, our own this, that, the other thing. And we fail to do probably what is the most important thing. So you're saying, Pastor Billy, what are we supposed to do about that? God's placed young people in all of our lives, all of our lives, whether they're our own sons and daughters, our grandkids, nieces, nephews, friends, kids, whatever it is. There's young people all around our lives that we cannot just say, hopefully somebody reaches them. Man, I hope somebody does something with that person that's all hurting and broken and all that. If that person's in our lives, I have a conviction that I must be the one that God's placed there to make a difference in that person's life. If they're in your life, it's not by accident. They're there because God is calling us to be a light. And we cannot ignore and say, man, I hope somebody else does something about the next generation. No, that's got to be us. It's got to be us. And may that never happen to the church in America where we are so caught up with our own thing that the generation that comes up after us knows neither the Lord nor what he did for us. We need to pass on the story. We need to pass on our testimony. We need to pass on the faith. And it takes intense, intense intentionality to do that. So how do we do this? We can live beyond our generation by investing in the faith of the next. And as we said last week, with our time, our treasure, and our talent. As we use what God has given us, not just for ourselves, but intentionally invest in the next generation, we can see the next generation exceed us. That's the goal, isn't it? That they do far better than we did, that they learn from our mistakes and they learn from our successes and they're far better than we were. That's the goal. That's got to be the goal. But that's not going to happen by accident. We have to be intentional. Um, Intentional, first of all, number one, with our time. You know, when I was in, in high school, uh, when we had probably the best our high school ministry ever was, or our youth ministry ever was, it wasn't because we had like one amazing like youth pastor that just like rallied everyone, you know. Uh, it, it, you know what it was? It was because we had tons of aunties and uncles that were willing to pack their cars and bring kids to church, that had kids over at their houses and did sleepovers and all this kind of stuff. That's when our youth ministry was at its best. I remember when I was in high school, um, we, were all, we all wanted to be in Auntie Camille's small group. And if you know Auntie Camille, she's Pastor Camille today. But back then, she was just Auntie Camille. And uh, we were all jealous of all the kids that were in Auntie Camille's small group. She, her son went to Kamehameha School, so we were all, all Kamehameha boys. And, and so, you know, I wasn't Hawaiian, so I didn't get invited to that group, I guess. Still a little hurt, but anyway. Um, and, but I remember Auntie Camille would pull up in front of church, and like kids would just come piling out of her van. I remember a beige Dodge Caravan with the, with the wood on the side, you know, the fake wood. You guys remember that van? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You're too young. Anyway, but they, they used to put wood on the side of cars. I don't know why. Anyway, but, but, but Kamehameha students would just come piling out of her car. It, it was like a clown car. Like, how are all these kids coming out of this car? You know what I'm talking about? Just one after another, after another, after another. And she told me uh, this past week at our staff meeting, she said, you know, I had 24 kids in my van once. I was like, that's probably breaking some laws there, Pastor Camille. I don't know if we should share that publicly. So delete that from the recording. That's probably a statute of limitations, right? Oh, well, sorry. Anyway, but I mean, she had 24 kids coming out of my van. I and mean, she was just so passionate about seeing young people get impacted that she would just cram them in her car, get them to church. Uh, you know, sometimes I'd get invited to potlucks at her house. Oh. No, but it, it's where you want it to be because there was so much love. She just loved on these kids, opened up her home, opened up her life, and her son, Key, and, and all their, their friends. I mean, they were growing, and, she, and she's got people in the ministry today out of that small group, all because Auntie Camille loved on them. And I said, you know what? We need to have that happen again. Because when we were at our best, it wasn't just Auntie Camille filling her car. I remember Pastor, Co- uh, he, he was just Coach Alfredo back then. He had a truck. He'd pile kids in the back of his truck, bringing them to, like breaking some laws, I'm sure, bringing them to church. There were so many aunties and uncles willing to go the extra mile for the young people in their lives. 
giving of their time to make sure that the faith gets passed on to the next generation. We need to do that again. We can't just rely on Edwin, one of our campus missionaries, and the other saying, yeah, you guys go reach the next generation. No, no, I don't see in the Bible this, this psalm written to a certain group of people. Hey, all of you youth ministers, read Psalm, 1, read psalm 78. No, this is written to all of us, the people of God, that we would invest in the next generation, not say someone else's job is to do that. Now, I'm not saying you all got to pack your vans and pack your buy. <laughs> we had a joke on our staff. Everyone's got to buy vans now. No, I'm not saying you got to do that, okay? But all of us have at least one young person in our life. Maybe it is a niece or a nephew, a son or a daughter, grandson, grandchild. Maybe it's a neighbor that you see. And that God's just been bugging you with that young person. Don't write that off and say, you know what, that's someone else's problem. Or say, I hope someone else deals with that kid. If that person's in your life and God's putting that person on your heart, it might be your problem. God might be making it your problem. Can I hear an amen? And we got to say, okay, God, how do you want me to use my time, treasure, and talent to be a blessing to this young person? I don't know about you, but it breaks my heart every time I hear about a, a teenager who's run away from home or has committed suicide or is drug addicted. And I wonder how many God-fearing people have walked past that young person over the last few months and weeks and said, man, someone should really help that young person. I think God's placed them in our lives because he's saying, I want you to help that young person. And you know what I realized? You know, I, I remember, what, what, you know, sometimes I, even I feel like this sometimes. You know, what do I have to teach this young person? What, what do I have to, to give them? You know, they don't want to listen to me. I'm old now. You know what I mean? I'm old and irrelevant. But here's the thing I realized. When I was younger, I didn't care how cool they were. Because back then, a lot of the adults in our church weren't super cool. At least the way that I thought of it. At least the way that I thought, okay, at the time. But it didn't matter. I didn't care how cool they were or weren't. And honestly, I don't remember very much of what they taught me. Because one of the excuses, I don't know enough about the Bible to help a, a young person, or I don't know enough to help them. I don't remember hardly any of the lectures or the speeches or the lessons. But here's what I remember. They cared about me. They cared about me. One of the most transformative moments of my life, I think I shared this before, was when one of our, one of our he was a young adult at the time, probably in his mid to late 20s, would come and pick up some of me and my friends from, from school, and, and he, he taught us how to surf and all this kind of stuff, and I, he just showed this value. He's one of the young adult leaders here at the church, and, and um, I remember he was sitting at Burger King, it was at Pro Ridge back then, Burger King's not there anymore, but it was, and it was over a Whopper Junior. I don't know what, was, what it was about that, but I just felt cared for, valued, and I remember thinking to myself, all right. I can do this. I can follow Jesus because this person cares about me. I don't remember what he said. I don't remember what he taught, but all I don't know is he cared. And you know what? I think all of us can do that. Amen. We can all care about a young person. We can all value them with our time, with our treasure. I'm pretty sure he bought me that Whopper Junior uh, with fries and which was two ninety nine. You remember when that was two ninety nine? That was a sweet deal. Goodness, I go I go to fast food restaurants now. I'm like, man, it's not worth it anymore. Um, but he invested of his time and his treasure and, his, and, and the relationship. And that's what changed my heart the most. And, you know, sometimes we make excuses. No, they don't want, they don't want to listen to an old person like me. They don't want to, I'm irrelevant, you know. I, I can't buy Jordan. I can't wear Jordans anymore. It don't look good on me. You know, it's just whatever it is. We start making all of these excuses when in re- reality, all they need is someone to care about them, to love them, and to be present. And I think all of us can do that with at least one. And we can blame what's going on in the world, but we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, what am I doing to make a difference in the young people that are shaping the world and are going to continue to shape the world going forward? What are we doing with that? 
And God's placed people in, in all of our lives to do that. It costs our time. And, and, and as I've shared before, you know, one of, the, one of the most exciting parts of my week is, is when I get to meet with a bunch of middle school kids, a bunch of basketball players, some of my son's friends and others, and I've been able to have them over to my house at different moments. And um, it takes a lot of time because I got to go pick them up, you know, drive them somewhere, and then we got to take them somewhere else. It takes a lot of time. But you know what's exciting is seeing them get excited about God. It fires me up, man. And then to be honest, half the time, I don't want to do it. I'd rather take a nap in the afternoon. But you know, after I've been with these boys, I'm like, man, that was awesome. That was awesome. We just had a, one on, on Thursday night, this past Thursday. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm so fired up being with these young people, seeing God do something in their heart and in their life. But it takes a lot of time. I, I, I calculate, it takes me about three hours round trip out of my day to go get them, have the meeting and take them where they got to go. And I'm exhausted after, but I'm also fired up because you see what God's doing in their hearts, how he's changing them. All of us can do that. It costs time. It costs money because they eat my food, you know. It also costs me my nose because they don't smell so good. <laughs> I tried to drop a couple of them off one time. I was like, oh, my God, my car stinks. <laughs> I got to invest in some Febreze, you know, but, but it's worth it. And, you know, whatever excuses we make, we got to say, okay, if there's a command in Scripture to care about the next generation, we can't write that off. We have to lean into it and say, yes, God. Now, we're all going to do this to different degrees. Some of you are like, well, I don't, you know, if I had sleepover, people would be wondering why I got teenagers at my house, right? Um, but we can all do something. We can, as, we can start with prayer. We can start with the people that God's placed around us already. Maybe it's with our sons or daughters, nieces, nephews, grandkids. And say, how can I invest in you and, and your friends? How can I invest in your friends? And see what God does through that. I think if all of us just do a little bit, together collectively, we can make a great impact. Can I hear an amen to that? Some of you have talents of coaching, tutoring, training, equipping. I mean, the guy that, that, that made a big impact in my life, he had a talent of serving. He said, hey, you, you, you and your friends want to learn how to surf? I was like, sure. I live in Hawaii. I should probably learn to do that at some point, right? And uh, it was his talent of surfing that helped open me and a bunch of my friends up to the gospel. Whatever you have, are you using that talent, as we said last week, just for yourself, or are we using it to make a difference in others? And, in, and for today, in the next generation. And I want to close with, uh, close with this. You know, last week, I talked a little bit about Tim Tebow and how he's using his influence, his resources to invest. And I, and I realized all the things that he's doing is for the next generation, right? We talked about how he uh, started a program of setting up uh, proms for special needs kids all around the country. And every year, fifty to 90,000 kids that maybe the world doesn't think is very special. Makes, he makes them feel special for one night. He uses his, his influence, his resources, millions of dollars goes into this to be a blessing to young people that many people would ignore and write off. And he also invests a lot of resources into caring for orphans and building hospitals and visiting uh, kids in hospitals and all of that. And I realized, you know, all of the stuff he does is for young people. So I started doing a little bit of research. You know, why? Why, Tim Tebow, do you focus so much on young people? And he said this in, in one interview. He was asked that exact question. Why do you invest so much in reaching kids? Like, what, what, what is with that? And this is what he said. Because they're the most vulnerable, and they need someone else to fight for them. They're the most vulnerable, and in need of someone else to fight for them. If you remember what it was like to be a young person, how lost you felt, how helpless you felt at different times. Does anybody care about me? 
And so we try to figure out life on our own. Maybe it's through relationships. Maybe that'll fulfill me. And then that blows up in your face, right? Maybe it was through drugs and other unhealthy things. And you think maybe if I do this, then I'll feel fulfilled. And that blew up in your face. And somehow you made it through that season. But do you remember how painful that was? What if there was someone who entered into that moment at that time and said, I care about you. Maybe your parents' marriage blew up. Maybe like me, your dad is in jail right now, but I care about you. I see greatness in you. How would that have changed the trajectory of your life? How much further ahead would you have been today had someone entered into your life young? Many of you are like, man, I know exactly what that feels like. I had someone enter into my life, and that's why I'm here. Well, then we need to pay it forward. We need to pay it forward to somebody else. Many of you never had that, and you figured it out on your own. (laughs) Praise God for that. But what would have happened if you had someone in your life when you were that lost 13, 14-year-old? 15, 16 year old, we said, does anybody care about me? Does anybody see anything in me? Where would you be today? I suggest you'd be, probably be further along in life. I'm so thankful someone entered into my life when I was 16 years old, but I wish someone entered into my life when I was a lot younger than that because I did a lot of stupid things, made a lot of dumb mistakes that could have probably been prevented had someone entered into my life a little bit younger. And I don't know about you, I want to be able to pay that forward to somebody else to help set up the next generation to be even better than we are today. But it takes intention now. It's not going to happen by accident. And we have to resist the temptation to just look at ourselves and walk past all the people that God's placed in our paths to make an impact in. And as we conclude this message, and we're thinking about specifically the next generation, as we go from this place throughout our week, who's God putting in your way? Who's God putting in your path? And I pray that God will reveal it and that we will stop and not just walk on by. Amen. Last week I closed with this video and I was encouraged to show it again because realizing not all of you were here last week and you need to see this, but Tim Tebow explains a little bit of the heart as to why he does what he does in investing in the next generation. And may this be a picture that motivates us as we go forward to be an impact in the lives of others. And if you've seen it before, you got to see it again. It's just that good, right? But if you didn't, I want to make sure that we all have this in our minds as we live our lives in this holiday season and beyond. Amen. Take a look on screen. There's a picture that I stumbled across, and it's one of Time's 100 most influential images of all time. And it's the picture of this young girl. She's on her way from her village to a feeding center not far away. And she's so malnourished, and she's moving so slow that this vulture is waiting to attack. So the young man that took this picture, I think there was probably something in his heart that he, he wanted to do good. He just, he wasn't sure. So, so he, he captured this picture, and he just waited, and, and then the vulture got closer, so he kind of shooed the vulture off, and then he walked away, and the vulture would come right back. And he was told, because of some of the sicknesses in the areas, don't touch anybody, don't do anything, and so he didn't. He didn't. He did nothing. Because apparently the cost was too much. So he left. He went back, the New York Times published this photo in 1993. In 94, 
he won the Pulitzer Prize for this photo. Four months after this, he chose to end his life. You see, every single one of us, we have a chance to be successful in life. And you know what? I hope you are. I really do. I, I hope you're successful. There's nothing wrong with being successful. But success is just about you. But significance is about other people. You see, that man that took that picture, he had success. That's one of the greatest honors a photographer could ever have. But obviously it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. So what's going to be enough for you? You see, success is great. You can do a lot of things with it, but it's not going to be fulfilling. And you can never forget that sense of urgency that it's not about your timeline, it's about their timeline. While you might have 30, 40, 50 years, they have days, minutes, moments. She had moments, but it wasn't worth it to go pick her up. It wasn't worth it to give her a hug. It wasn't worth it to tell her about the gospel. Yeah, I won a Pulitzer Prize, but what does it matter? What does it matter? It doesn't. And I think the greatest tragedy in life is we're going to look back one day and say, I was successful in things that don't matter. I want you to be successful. But more than anything, I want you to be significant. And when you live for Jesus and you love people, I believe you're going to have a life of significance. Amen. You can clap. Every day we walk past people that are in need of love, that are in need of the gospel, that are in need of someone to pick them up and love on them. And I want to encourage us, my encouragement to us today is don't walk past, especially the young people, because they're the most vulnerable. They really are. They're the most vulnerable. They need someone to reach out to them. And I remember what it felt like to be a lost 13-year-old, 14-year-old, wondering, does anybody care? Does anybody care? And you know what? When I, when I found some people that did in this church, it changed everything. And we need to be that for others. Amen? May we never get comfortable thinking, hey, you know, everything is good. The church is going good. Yeah, it is. But there are so many people outside the church that don't have the hope that we have, that don't know that they're valued, that they're loved, that there's a God in heaven that made them on purpose and for a purpose and loves them regardless of their circumstances and their life and all the things that have gone on. They don't know that. Who's going to tell them if not us? Don't walk past them. Amen? Like the photographer, don't walk past that moment to extend love and the gospel to somebody. It's not walk past. Maybe for some of you, they're your coworkers that you see, and you don't get them because they're young and they're hipsters and all that. You don't get you. They, they, they rub you the wrong way because they're from another generation. Don't walk past them. Listen for the hurt and the pain and the confusion. Be a loving presence in their life. Maybe for some of us, you, we don't have anyone at work. Maybe it's someone in your family that you know of a niece or a nephew, and it breaks your heart. Don't walk past them. Amen? Enter in. Maybe for some of us, it's a neighbor. For those of us that have kids, maybe your kids are doing good, but maybe it's one of their friends. Whatever it is, may we not walk past the people in our lives, but 
Enter into that moment. Show them the love of God. Share with them the love. Share with them your food. Amen. And that might open up an opportunity to be a blessing that could have an eternal impact in their life. Man, I'm so thankful that this church didn't write off young people like me. I'm so thankful that Pastor Norman didn't say, oh, the son of a drug dealer. Yeah, I don't want you in my church. I'm so thankful that the aunties and uncles didn't look at us any differently, but let us embrace us and let us help us to grow in this church because our families are different today. Amen. We need to be able to do that for the countless others that are yet outside these walls. I, you know, I love the fact that we have that warehouse down there and tons of teenagers in there, but I lament the fact that there are still hundreds and thousands of them out there that don't have the hope that we have in here. May we be the people that stop walking past and start picking up the next generation around us. Can I hear an amen to that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you.